open your Bibles. We're getting going today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are starting a new series this morning. We're going to be in this series through the month of December. Our series is called Nativity. And Nativity is obviously um, the, the figurine sets we see all over during this time of year. It's a fancy word, but the basic definition of the word nativity is simply birth, birth, and more specifically, the circumstances surrounding a birth. And this month, we are going to be exploring the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to be diving into the lives of some of the people who were there, who were part of those circumstances. And today, we're going to take a look at the birth of Jesus, and we're going to learn some things about it through the eyes of the shepherds. The shepherds. And the shepherds are going to answer four questions for us this morning. Where does God show up? What is his message? Who shares his message? And where is it shared? Four things we're going to learn about the birth of Christ from the shepherds today. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to work through these next verses, kind of jumping around a little bit as we follow the story of the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Our first question is, where does God show up? And the easy answer given right here in the very first verse is? We can read, can't we? Can we read? We're doing all right today? Are we just a moment? We need to stop and... Okay, I'll ask again. Where does show up in this verse? In a field. He shows up in a field. It says a field nearby. Nearby where? This is a little harder. You have to know the story. Yeah, the baby is born in Bethlehem in a stable and placed in a manger. And then it says in fields nearby, in fields nearby Bethlehem. And if we look at the story, what Luke is saying to us is this. Not only does our story center in this small, little, somewhat forgotten town, but it also actually happens outside of town. It happens outside of a very small town. Any small town people in here? People who were just raised in a small town. You were born in a small town. I didn't sing that in the first service. That was just for you. <laughs> um, yeah, there's something about a small town, isn't there, right? And here's the thing. We have this prejudice. We think nothing important and people of importance don't really live in or come from small towns. If you're not a small town person, you have that bias. And there's always been that bias because the most important people come from big, important places. Places like New York or Washington, D.C. or L.A. or Seattle or Portland, Oregon, right? The places where the important people come from. When I was a freshman in college, I was going off to college, and I got word that my roommate, my freshman year, was going to be this guy from western Nebraska— who came from a very, very small town, actually lived outside of the small town of Curtis, Nebraska. Anyone here from Curtis? Of course you're not. There's only three people in the world from Curtis. I got the info on my college roommate, and he's from Curtis, Nebraska, and his graduating class his senior year was a whopping 13 kids, Curtis and surrounding area. And to be honest, can I just be honest, my instant thought was, this guy's gonna be weird. 
No one comes from that small of a town and is normal. That was just sort of what I thought. I was really nervous about having this small town kid. Became one of my best friends. We roomed together all four years. He's an elder in his church, one of the greatest guys I know. But we have this prejudice sometimes against small people from small places. And Luke wants to point out to us right away in this story that even though there's some big events, there's some glitz and there's some glam, this happens in a very small, obscure, ordinary place. And furthermore, the announcement doesn't just come to this, this field out in the middle of nowhere. It comes to some very specific people. The announcement is made to the shepherds. You guys are catching on. You're doing better. And most of you know, coming to Christmas Eve services, that the shepherds were not scholars. The shepherds were not soldiers. They weren't leaders. They were not important government officials. They weren't even considered to be particularly religious. Their very vocation prevented them from taking part in Sabbath and Sabbath rituals. And so they were kind of on the outskirts of the Jewish faith. These, Luke is telling us, are just ordinary people. They're as ordinary as it gets. These are the blue-collar, minimum-wage workers of the day. So Luke is screaming to us right away in this story, do not miss the ordinariness of this moment. Do not miss how extraordinary this birth is. Just normal, just a normal night with normal guys watching normal sheep. But friends, here's what made the normal special. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. See, in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord is all about the presence of God. It's about God's personal presence being with you. The presence that Adam and Eve had in the garden, that's the glory of the Lord. The presence that was lost by Adam and Eve because of sin. So the presence is there right from the beginning, right in Genesis, right in chapter one. And then because of sin, the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord is lost. But then it shows up again later in the story, later in the scriptures. Where does it show up again? Where next do we see the glory of the Lord after the Garden of Eden? Does anyone know? The tabernacle. Yeah, I knew you knew it. You just, it was on the tip of your tongue, wasn't it? The tabernacle. The Jews kind of make this makeshift sort of you know, movable worship space and in the very center of the tabernacle, the, the glory of the Lord, the presence of God shows up and then in the temple, the more permanent worship center for the Jews, in the very center of the, te- of the temple, in the Holy of Holies, in this place where only the high priest could go, in the place where sacrifices were made so that sinful man could be in the presence of holy God, the glory of the Lord shows up again. So we have the glory of the Lord in the garden, then in the tabernacle, and then in the temple. And then, as the story continues, we read one of the saddest passages in the scriptures. It's from the book of Ezekiel, and it's when the prophet Ezekiel realizes that Israel has turned her back on God, that she's no longer faithful to him and walking with him. And the prophet watches the glory of the Most High God go up and over the door, and out the city, and up out into the mountains, until the glory of the Lord disappears. God's glory leaves Israel. 
And that was hundreds of years before this moment, and it had not been back until this very night. You see, this was no small event out in that field in the middle of nowhere outside of Bethlehem. It signified that the garden presence of God had come back, back to humanity, but this time not just to a high priest in a temple, but to an average, ordinary people in the everyday routine places of life. You see, friends, we are all tempted in our day, in Jesus' day, to look for God in certain places, to imagine that he'll be in the neat and tidy places, to imagine that he'll be in the religious places, to say, I'm certainly going to find the Lord in church or in, in Bible study or in my quiet time. But what we find in this opening passage is that God doesn't show up there. He can show up there. He does show up there. You can find him. I hope you can find him in our church. And yet, the message here is you can find him in other places as well. And he shows up in a field, in this place where the hard work was done, where the shepherds worked and slugged through difficult things day in and day out. Friends, the question is this, where is your field today? Where is the place where maybe you wouldn't expect to encounter the living God, you wouldn't expect the presence of the Lord to show up, but it's exactly where God wants to meet you and it's exactly where he will show up. You see, the Christmas story says God will show up in, in unexpected places. My good friend, one of my best friends um, who lives in Ventura, he lost his wife this year. And so he and his two boys, a high schooler and a middle schooler, this month will have their very first Christmas without mom. You see, that's their field. That's the place where they're having to work. That's the place that they need God to show up this Christmas. Friends, where do you, where in your life do you need God to show up this Christmas? Where do you desperately need his glory to shine around you for him to remind you that he is with you and that his presence will never leave you? So that's where. That's where God shows up. Next is what. When he shows up, what is his message? Let's read. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they celebrated they partied, they breathed a sigh of relief. They said, it's about time you got here, God. We've been waiting. What a great day. No, it doesn't say that at all. It says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. It's kind of weird, really. We pray for God to show up. We want him to show up. And yet in the scriptures so often, we find that when he shows up, there's immense fear. There's immense fear. The, remember Linus when he reads this? He, you know, he walks up with his blankie and then he stands in front of everyone and he reads the Christmas story and he gets to this point and he reads the old King James Version and he says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord turned around them and they were sore afraid. I don't know what sore afraid means, but I looked it up this week. Literally, this is what it says in the Greek. And they were megas phobos. Megas phobeo phobos, and that means megas. It's our, where we get our word for mega, like mega man or 
mega marshmallows or mega, what's another mega word? I don't know. And there's the word phobia, which is obviously where we get our word phobia, right? Phobia, that's not, not fear, phobia, but it's a type of fear, right? And so it's megas phobos. Literally in the Greek, he says this is huge. And then he doubles down on the fear. It's like huge fear, fear. Literally it says this, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they feared with a great fear. They have so much fear. They're so terrified in this moment that even their fear has fear. And the question becomes, at Christmas, why are they afraid? Why? Why the fear? And I'll answer it this way, friends. At the center of every single fear we have is a weakness or a fault or an insufficiency that has been exposed. That has been exposed or is being threatened to be exposed. You see, we all have these things. We all have faults and insufficiencies, but we hide them. We've gotten so good, so adept at hiding them. We don't let other people see them. We cover them with our accomplishments and our things and our gifts and abilities. We cover them up and we bury them in our lives and we don't put ourselves in situations where our weaknesses and faults can be exposed because we don't want to be afraid. And when they start to well you and fear wells up in me, this is why every single time they, they give a survey out, the number one fear in America that people have is public speaking. Isn't that the silliest thing you've ever heard in your life? I, I'm serious. I'm not just saying that because I'm public speaking right now. I'm actually terrified as we talk. Um, but I mean, as, as nerve-wracking as public speaking is, shouldn't cancer or murder or a car accident on the 217 scare us more than standing up in front of people and talking? I mean, why? It, it really makes no sense that, that standing in front of people and talking is the thing we fear most. There's way worse things in our world. Amen? Did you come to church today for the good news? Here, but here's the thing about public speaking. It feeds right into fear. Why? It exposes us. It exposes that we might not be as smart or insightful or entertaining or accepted as we long to be. It puts us right up in front of everyone for them to see our weaknesses and insufficiencies and faults. And so that's why public speaking evokes so much fear. So again, though, why then are people afraid when God shows up? Because God, friends, more than anyone or anything else exposes our faults. He exposes, he shines a big old light on all of our weaknesses and insufficiencies. Let me, let me give you an example. This would be like back in school, if you were in high school and you went to school and you didn't have your homework done and you got to lunch and sixth period, there's a big assignment due and you're gonna spend the entire lunch period working on this assignment and you weren't even sure if you're gonna get it done, but you're just gonna hope to work really hard and get it done. And you're there working on it at lunch and a couple of your friends come over and they're working on it too. And another friend comes over who has that same class in second period and says, hey guys, I got the homework. It's all done already corrected and handed back. Do you want to copy it? Now, of course, you would respond by saying, no, no you liars. You totally lie. <laughs> I know you in high school. I remember how you were. You're like, awesome. 
hand it over and all your friends would say awesome too and you'd be copying the answers and you'd be justifying it like that teacher always gives too much homework anyway and she never gives enough time and you'd be copying the homework and, and your friends were doing it so you'd feel okay about it and you'd you know, kind of, yeah, okay, it's okay for me since you're doing it as well. And then another friend would come over and they'd be like, oh, I gotta do the homework. And you'd be like, hey, guess what? We got the answer key. But what if that other friend said, you know, I don't think I can do that. I don't feel right about it. I'm just gonna work on it. I'm just, I don't know if I'll get it done, but I'm just gonna buckle down. I'm just gonna work on it. You'd be like, no, 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 no. I got the answer key, right? You can copy it. It's a free gift. It's totally fine. No, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And they sat down and they started to do the homework right next to you. Here's the question. Would you want to be around that person right then? How would you feel about their presence with you in that moment? You would not want to be around them. You would want them to go work on their homework somewhere else. Why? Because their morality and their ethic and their goodness and their righteousness would expose your fault. It would just put a big old spotlight right on your wrongdoing. Now, now, what if there was a being who was fully and completely good and holy and righteous and just? But utterly through and through without fault. When your life bumped up against them, would it not reveal how utterly broken and insufficient and faulted you are? And furthermore, what if that being was so good and so powerful that any sin, that any injustice, that any wrong would be utterly destroyed and annihilated in their presence? What if their goodness was so big and full and powerful that any wrong and injustice in their presence would just be completely and utterly consumed? What if that being showed up and was in your presence? How, would you think you, how do you think you'd feel then? Just a little nervous? No. Try terrified, try megas phobos, right? Like fear with great fear is how you'd feel because your faults and insufficiencies and weaknesses would be utterly and completely on display. You would be fully 100% exposed. You see, this is why Adam and Eve, after disobeying God, when he shows up in the garden, head for the bushes, this is also why God banishes them from the garden, right? This is why he kicks them out. You ever get confused about that story? Have you ever thought, you know, sometimes God, you know, they, there's this rule. Don't eat the fruit off the tree. They eat the fruit off the tree. They, kinda, they obviously feel bad about it, don't they? I mean, it's, it's obvious from the story. They're not just like, yeah, they, they feel bad about it. And yet God kicks them out of the garden forever. I mean, wow, isn't God just a little uptight? Is that what's happening here? Do we just have a, like a really strict, stringent, rule-following, uptight God? Is that the message of the story? No, 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 friends. You don't understand. This is actually a message of grace. This is God saying, hey, because I'm so holy and righteous and just and injustice and wrong cannot be in my presence. And so I have to kick you out of the garden. I've got to take you out of my presence. Why? So you won't be completely destroyed and annihilated. This is God actually caring for them. He's saying, you got to get away from me until we can get this thing figured out and fixed. This isn't God just being like really, really rigid about the rules. No, you see, sometimes we misunderstand that. You see, God's power and goodness and justice and righteousness is so strong, so complete, so full. That's what will make eternity wonderful, by the way. That all 
Sin cannot live in his presence. We talk about at the end of the age, in the new heaven and the new earth, that injustice will be completely wiped away, that all the injustice and evil that we experience here being gone, you know why? It cannot survive in the presence of God. That's amazing. It's not amazing for us right now, though. Why? Because we're fallen, sinful, broken people. And Adam and Eve are removed from the presence as an act of mercy for their own lives. But now the angel comes in this moment in our story today and says to the shepherds, what? You're terrified. Majorly, majorly afraid. You don't have to be. Listen to this, verse 10. But the angel said to them, to the terrified shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And by the way, just as kind of a side note, um, sometimes when we think about sin in church, it's this word, like sin and sinners, and it's kind of a churchy word, and people have used it to be like really judgmentally and pointy, like pastors like, you sinners out there. And you guys are all like, we know you, Dave, you're pointing at yourself. True. Okay. But sin goes so much farther than just, I did something wrong. I did the wrong thing. I made a bad choice, or I didn't do the right thing. You see, at, at the very heart of sin, down at the roots of sin, is actually something deeper. Sin in the Bible says, I didn't only do the wrong thing. I want to decide. I want to be the decider of what is and what isn't the wrong thing. You see, at the root of sin, there's this attitude that says, I want to call the shots. That's what happens with Adam and Eve, right? The serpent says, hey, who's God to tell you you can't eat the fruit off this tree, right? And so they go over and they, yeah, who is God? We'll, we'll do what we want. We'll decide what's right and what's wrong. You see, at the very center of sin is this idea. I want to be Lord of my life. I'll call the shots for me, and what the angel says is the giant divide between God and humanity, the massive gap between a holy, righteous, just, completely good God and sinful humanity has to be closed somehow. Something has to be remedied. There has to be some sort of a solution so that we can once again be in God's presence so the glory of the Lord can shine around us. That's what God longs for and that's what he wants. And yet we can never be good enough. One of the things about being in the presence of God that I think is gonna be really humbling is that all of a sudden I'm gonna realize I was a lot worse than I thought. Even the places I thought I was pretty good, even the places where I was tempted to compare myself to you, there was some deep, dark, ugly stuff in there. Some stuff that had to be healed. Some stuff that there's no way I could heal on my own. And, yet, and so the angels come and they say, here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Here's the reason for joy and celebration. Through this baby born in Bethlehem, God is going to take in so that you can be terror-free in his presence once again. You see, the message of the angel to the shepherds is, you don't have to hide anymore. 
You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry about being exposed. Through Jesus, God has made his presence in your life a safe thing again. The glory of the Lord through this child and what he will do can shine around you once more. The garden life is being ushered back in and offered to you and me the life that we lost. Let me ask it this way, friends. What are you hiding from God today? What are you afraid that he might see in your life? You see, because because of Jesus, God is the safest place in the world. He's the safest place to be vulnerable, to be exposed, to be real, to put all your sin and faults and failures on the table. And furthermore, furthermore, that same safety should extend out into his bride, his community, his people, the church. We do not have a reputation for this, but I have said it before and I will continue to say it over and over and over again. The church should be the safest place in the world to be vulnerable, to say I'm struggling, I'm fallen, I'm broken, I'm weak, I'm insufficient, I need help. This should be a community of overwhelming grace and support and challenge and assistance more than any other in the world. See, because of this baby born in Bethlehem, you've been saved from all your faults and insufficiencies and brokenness and sin. There is now freedom and the presence of God is available to you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the declaration that's made to the shepherds at Christmas time. And that leads to our next question. Where does God show up? What's his message? And finally, who shares it? You know, most people... In this passage, hear the message of Christ's birth, right? This is a passage about it being announced. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It's proclaimed. It's announced. The good news of that, the good news of the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord being born, comes from who in this passage? Who is the primary announcer? Who makes the announcement more than anyone else in this passage? Who is it? You guys can tell. See, the first service just really like took, my, took the line on that one. And he, you guys can tell. He's setting us up here. I can tell just by the tone. I'm setting you up. Listen to this. It's not the angels. The angels get all the attention. They get all the glory. But they actually like second to another group. Listen. So they, who's they? The shepherds. Hurried off, this is verse 16, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him. The word there, by the way, is the same word as the word message. They spread the message concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You see, the story of Christmas, the story of the shepherds, is that the shepherds get the message from the angel but everyone else just gets the message from the shepherds. See, we got one angel interaction and multiple shepherd interactions happening here. So most people heard the good news of the birth of baby Jesus, not from the angels, but from the shepherds. This is very important, friends. This is very important. This is something we need to understand because I'll I'll argue this. It's disappointing for us because every single person in this room, secretly, we're all hoping for an angel. If I'm going to get the news, you know, I'd really like, I'd like the angel package. Can I get the angel package? Even, even with the terror and the mega 
phobia, phobia, right? Like, yes, I'll take that because we all want the angel package. But this is actually something we see in the Bible all the time, over and over again. In spite of the fact that we get these incredible pictures all throughout Scripture of God speaking through um, amazing things and in amazing ways, through a burning bush and through a flaming mountain and a talking donkey, in general... What we get most of the time, most of God's messages come through average, ordinary people just like shepherds. Remember the story of Elijah in 1 Kings? Elijah the prophet, he wants to hear the voice of God and so God comes, right? God comes and God's gonna speak to Elijah and the first thing that comes is what? Nope. Help him out, Matt. An earthquake. An earthquake comes first. The whole earth rumbles. And Elijah's like, is that you, Lord? Nope. And then is a wind. A big wind comes. Is that you, Lord? Nope. Then he sends fire. Is that you, Lord? Nope. But in the end, so there's all these amazing, spectacular, wonderfully majestic things. But in the end, how does God speak? Still small voice. Still small voice. Over and over again, the Bible will say, this is how God speaks. Sure, there are some visions in there. Sure, there are some miracles in there. There are absolutely a few angels, but mostly, friends, it's shepherds. And it's kind of a bummer because, you know, when we want to hear God, you ever get in a place where you just need to hear God? God, I need to hear you on this. I absolutely have to hear you on this. I need to know what you want me to do on this thing. Please give me direction. Give me guidance. Give me your path. I will follow. Speak, Lord. In that moment, are you like, please just send a shepherd? No, you're thinking angel package. I want the angel package, sky riding, put it on the mirror. A very, very vivid dream that I have over and over and over again. If Pastor Dave could show up on my doorstep with like, God just gave me this to tell you, that would be awesome. But just do whatever you need to do to make it absolutely crystal clear, Lord. But that is not often how God works. And when we take this angelic approach to hearing God's voice, We miss out on a couple things. First of all, we often miss out on the things that he wants to share with us. And secondly, we often miss out on being a part of the sharing. You know, there's a really great uh, Christmas song called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Have you heard of it? There's a line in in that Christmas carol. The line goes, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Veiled in flesh the Godhead See, and what he's talking about is that Jesus, in Jesus, you can actually see God because Jesus is God. He's fully man and he's fully God. And yet, and yet, so many people, when they encountered Jesus and they saw Jesus, they weren't really sure if he was God. Why? They had such a hard time seeing past the veil, seeing past the humanity. And friends, we have the same problem. Let me tell you what it looks like for you. Some of you have parents and they've told you about Jesus. They've talked to you about the love of God found in Christ and what it means to follow him. And you've listened to them and you've heard that message and you've considered it. And then one day, one day you had this thought, wait a minute. My parents told me all that Jesus stuff. They're a bunch of hypocrites because you know what? 
They do this and they do that and they say this and they don't live that way. And you point out all the things about your parents that weren't exactly right, that weren't angelic at all, that were far from perfect. You see all the flaws and weaknesses and insufficiencies and you say, man, that message must be, you know, just a bunch of junk because they're, they're not perfect. They're not living that way. See what that is? That's called, I need an angel. I need a perfect being to give me the message. If I'm gonna receive the message, I need the being who delivers it to be perfect. If there's any flesh, if there's any humanity, if there's any failing, it's gonna veil the message for me. Some of you have wives and they'll come to you and they'll say, honey, I got something I just feel like I need to talk to you about. Here's something. I just feel like the Lord wants me to, to offer this to you as a challenge or a correction. And you'll say, oh, who... The nerve of her to say that. You know what she does? She does this and she does this and she does that and da da da, da and she always says, nah, right? Oh yeah, okay, so you're saying that because she's human being, because she has flesh, because she's not an angel, that God couldn't possibly speak to her, to you through her. Women, your husband will come to you and say, honey, you know, we gotta talk about, you know, gratitude the other day or whatever. And you say, oh, the nerve of you. Do you know what you do around this house? And blank and da 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 da. It's like, well, does he have to be an angel, ladies? Does he have to be perfect or else God couldn't possibly deliver a message? You know, in the scriptures, God speaks through a donkey and that is not the word that's used. <laughs> Just saying. Here's another way you'll do that, right? Here's another way this will play out for you. Like, we have this angel complex because when God speaks, it's gonna be glorious and majestic and the heavens are gonna part and there's gonna be a, you know, a multitude of angels and a heavenly chorus. And so you know what we do? We think that, okay, oh yeah, when God speaks, it's just this amazing thing. So then we go to read the Bible and we open the Bible up. I'm like, man, it's the new year. I'm gonna be better about like reading the Bible every day. And you read the Bible and you're like, well, I don't know, that didn't really inspire me that much. Nothing glowed or floated or, you know. Maybe this thing doesn't work, right? And you see, because human beings wrote it, there's a lot of stuff in here that's about fallen human beings. There's a lot of things to pick apart. And you let, see, the Bible comes to us via, it's a divine book, it's perfect, but it comes to us through humanity. It talks about the fallenness and the brokenness of even to the greatest heroes in the scriptures. So when we let humanity get in the way of the message, all we have is an angel complex. I just need an angel, Lord. It has to be an angel. And then we miss what God wants to say to us. And then we miss being part of the sharing. Because guess what? If God has to speak through an angel, how many of you in here feel more like an angel? And how many of you in here feel more like a shepherd? You see, and if you're waiting to feel like an angel before you declare the message of the gospel and the hope and love of God in Jesus Christ, guess when you'll share it? In heaven. And there really won't be any need for it then. So you're going to miss out a lot. You see, friends, we miss out on what's shared and we miss out on the sharing. We don't understand that God uses shepherds. All right, last but not least. Where do we share it? Where do we share it? We have this message to be shared. And God says, I will share it through shepherds fallen, broken human people who are willing to understand the powers and the message, not in them, not in their credibility. Where do we share it? Friends, every year at Christmas, I read the Christmas story, and it's a little bit of a preacher's nightmare because you've heard the story so many times. How many new things are there to say? And yet every single year without fail, I will read the story and I'll go, I have never seen that before. 
Most of the time it takes me all the way up until Christmas Eve, but I got one this week. Maybe I'll get two this year. Here, here's, here's the thing I saw this year that I, very simple, but it's significant, that I've never seen before. It's verse 20. It's the very end of this story. The glory of the Lord shines around the shepherds. They go, they see the baby, they go out and declare, God has sent a savior. His presence and peace and joy are now available to humanity again because of what he's done through this child. People are amazed and receive the message. And then it says, and then the shepherds went out and planted a church and became missionaries in Africa and led the largest evangelistic movement in the history of the world. It does not say that. It says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, after all this stuff, after this amazing life experience, after this phenomenal encounter with the living God and the Savior of the world, the shepherds go right back to being shepherds. You see, Here's the gospel. The gospel never wants to pull you out of your life. The gospel always wants to infuse itself into your life. Now, that's not to say that God won't give you new callings and directions, but largely, the gospel says, you've had this experience with God. You've experienced the grace and love and joy and peace with God. Now, go back to your family. Go back to your workplace. Go back to your neighborhood. Go back to those you know and love and share the good news with them. Take the gospel with you when you return. And as you go, never forget this, that I will never leave you or forsake you, that I use the average, ordinary, plain and simple things of this world to empower and fuel my mission in this world, the mission of hope and love and joy and peace that I wanna spread. I'll even just use basic elements like bread and wine, bread and juice to remind you of the power that you have. You see, this morning as we come to the table, as we close our service, I wanna invite you to come and receive the bread symbolizing the body of Christ and the cup, the blood of Christ that was shed. And I want you, as you come to the table today, to just ask this question. How and where does God want me to be like the shepherds this Christmas? How and where does God want me to be like the shepherds this Christmas? Amen? Father, this morning... As we take the meal that reminds us of your death and resurrection, that reminds us of your love and sacrifice, remind us, Lord, that the peace we have with you, the presence that we enjoy with you, that it does not come from us in any way, but that it comes fully from your son, who he is and what he's done. May that create humility in us. May that fuel us with a boldness courage and authenticity and a vulnerability that peels the fear out of our lives. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, we worship you, and all these things we pray in your name. Amen.